Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you so much for joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Happy to have you with us once again as we talk about issues impacting rural America. Thanks for joining us for the conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have another busy show on tap for you here today on AOA. Coming up here in just a minute, we're going to talk to the Risk Management Agency Administrator for USDA, Marsha Bunger. We have uh, some new options for crop insurance for specialty crop producers. We're going to learn more about that with Marsha coming up here in just a second. In segment two today, we're going to talk about soybean demand and the market outlook for soybeans. Mac Marshall with the United Soybean Board will be joining us. In segment three, Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association will be on today's program. He just returned from the summer business meeting out in California for the cattle industry. So we're going to talk to Colin about that. We're going to look big picture demand, consumer focus, the farm bill fight, and also uh, I know there's been a lot of attacks on checkoffs here recently. I want to ask Colin about that as well. So we'll get to that coming up here in segment three today. A lot of things to discuss. And then finally in segment four, we're going to talk about managing heat stress in our cattle and the effective use of probiotics with Dr. Steve Lerter from Christian Hansen. So Again, a lot to get to on today's program, and we thank you for joining us here for the conversation today on AOA. Let's kick things off. Joining us now, she is the administrator for USDA's Risk Management Agency. RMA Administrator Marsha Bunger is with us here on the show today. Marsha, it is great to have you back on the program. How are you? I am great. Thank you. Thank you for having some time for RMA to talk a little bit about some of the new expansion opportunities for farmers across the country. Well, we appreciate the time, and I really uh, want to dive into this with you, expanding uh, insurance coverage options for specialty crops and other actual production history crop programs. Can you just, uh, for starters, Marcia, give us a little bit of an overview uh, of what the expanded coverage is looking like here? Certainly. Um, what we're looking at doing right now is expanding coverage to um, crops, specialty crops, so that they can capitalize upon an enterprise unit structure. Very much familiar for corn, beans, traditional row crops. So we're allowing the same kind of unit expansion for a number of crops. Um, an enterprise unit allows a producer to insure all acres of the insured crop in the county together as opposed to other unit structures that separate the acreage for insurance. It's attractive because it lowers premium rates because the producer is willing to take on more of the risk. And so we are expanding to a number of crops. Right now it's going to be alfalfa seed, cultivated wild rice, forage production, mint, onions, and potatoes with enterprise units being available in California for the 2025 crop year. So those are the crops right now. But again, like I said, we're going to be doing additional crops later this summer into the fall. So mm -hmm. I hope that we can circle back and, and have more conversations about what that expansion opportunity looks like. 
Well, and looking at this expansion, and you mentioned uh, the crops that are going to be available here, and I, I think about you know things like forage production, our potato growers, onions, alfalfa, all the ones you mentioned. I mean, it's it, I'd have to think it's it's nice for those producers. They they see you know these enterprise units like you mentioned over on row crops, and now they're getting the ability to use this uh, program on their crops and just. I feel like it offers a lot of flexibility to more growers, doesn't it, Marcia? I think so, you know, and when I have traveled around the country and had an opportunity to talk to customers, it is my vision that all crops have the same world-class coverage as my husband with his corn and bean policy. And so I think many of the things that we've been doing and will continue to do is a reflection of that desire. Well, Marcia, if uh, growers uh, with of these specialty crops, if they want to learn more about the program and the options that are in front of them, I would imagine uh, contacting their local USDA office, going to USDA.gov. I'm sure there's many different ways to find more information, isn't there? Yes, and I would encourage those that are listening to first get a hold of your crop insurance agent mm-hmm. and discuss that option with your agent. And if you are looking for an agent, we have on our website, rma.usda.gov, an RMA agent locator. Or like you mentioned, talk to our RMA regional office. And that website also contains where those regional offices are located. Well, and obviously, and we just think about crop insurance in in general, it's so important for all of our crops, whether we're talking specialty crops or row crops, uh, that crop insurance, that safety net is just such a big part of what we do, isn't it, Marcia? It is, you know, and it's been a cornerstone of my own operation with my husband for um, a couple decades, maybe even more than a couple decades. So I am just really thankful that RMA has done such a great job expanding and continuing to look at ways to expand and enhance the levels, the endorsements, the options to all crops. Well, Marcia, you mentioned uh, you and your husband's operation there a couple of times. I know with your travels as RMA administrator, you've been getting a, a pretty good firsthand look at uh, crops across the country, not just on your farm, but across uh, much of the cord belt how are things looking, in your opinion, as you travel around? I know we've had our, our issues with dryness here and there and scattered showers and mm-hmm. hit and miss. How are things looking, in your opinion, out there across the country? You know, I think it's um, very much like the weather. It's different everywhere. Um, I know there's huge concerns of drought through Kansas, Nebraska. Um, I was in Billings, or I was in Montana last week at Great Falls. They've gotten some very timely rains. Their hay crop looks phenomenal from where I traveled through. Um, they were about three weeks out from harvesting their winter wheat, which looks really good too. And so, you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that they don't have any strong winds or hail. You know, and recently there's been significant flooding, which I have not seen on the eastern seaboard. So, um, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to those folks as they deal with flooding and um, different issues around contaminated water and that kind of thing. Right here out our back door in the southeastern part of South Dakota, um, this spring was um, 
it got hot and dry. So we had short pastures and short hay. But on the flip side, we have gotten some very timely rains. And so right now, our corn and beans look really good. Well, that is a good thing to hear, you know, in your backyard, the quarter beans looking good. And we hope that uh, all of our producers continue to have a, a successful growing season and catch some rains if they need it. And again, if folks want to learn more about the expanded uh, coverage options from USDA, you can go to rma.usda.gov or as Marcia said, contact your local crop insurance agent for more details. Marsha Bunger with uh, the Risk Management Agency Administrator for the RMA. We appreciate the time here today. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And again, that is Marsha Bunger, the Administrator at the Risk Management Agency, joining us here today on AOA. Coming up next, we're going to talk soybeans with Mac Marshall from the United Soybean Board. Back with more AOA right after this. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Join us during Dakota Fest this August as we talk about navigating volatile commodity and livestock markets. This is Jesse Allen, and I'll be hosting a live market panel on Wednesday, August 16th at noon in the Dakota Fest Education Center on the grounds in Mitchell. I'll be joined for market analysis by Mike Miner of Professional Ag Marketing and Ross Nadwick of Van Onen Company as we get you up to speed on the dynamics and continued volatility in the grain and livestock markets. Join us Wednesday, August 16th at noon during Dakota Fest. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. 
U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. As we continue here on AOA today, joining us now, he is the Vice President of Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board. Mac Marshall is with us here on the program today. Mac, it is great to catch up with you again, my friend. How are you? I'm doing very well, Jesse, and it's it's great to catch up. Congratulations on uh, on the new role here. Uh, I was really thrilled to hear the news. It's fantastic. Uh, you got to show it, but I do hope that with all this, you're still getting ample time to be in the studio for uh, for recording some music, too. <laughs> you know, uh, I basically just live in my studio now. I would, would take it over AOA and do it everything else. So um, I, my, my wife uh, loves it to an extent, but she also has to pull me out of here some nights. So <laughs> you know how that works. Yeah, you know, there's there's life beyond the four walls sometimes, I suppose. But uh, yeah, no, that's that, that, that's great. I'm glad you you're still getting the chance to uh, you know create in all those different venues. It's fantastic. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, and I and I'm glad that uh, you uh, had a chance to talk with us here today on AOA because I know. Uh, You've been busy, uh, a lot going on in the uh, world of soybeans right now, and uh, let's catch up a little bit on on supply and demand. You know, I, something just top of my mind is we're starting to see a little business come back in from China here for new crop soybeans. Catch us up on some of that, Mac. Yeah, we've had a, a wave of you know new crop purchases, particularly over the last week or so, which. You know, I don't think it can be too surprising given the timing of where we are in the year. There's obviously a desire to contract new crop beans, um, get them on the books. We typically see pickups in that in that July period anyway, so that's that's really where we are. I don't think it's um, too surprising, but you know, certainly any indicators of forward demand that we have are always welcome. We're always happy to have that. Now, the question of where we are in terms of markets today. Um, well, it's interesting. I think back to the last time you and I talked, which I think was when we were in Nashville in February on the margins of the uh, board meeting then. And the 2023 crop, you know, still seemed like a like a glint in, in every farmer's eye at that point in time. And now as it's uh, been developing and progressing and we've had, of course, hot weather across the country. Yeah, we're looking into, uh, you know, a forward uh, a strong forward demand environment. I think the question is now, what's that crop going to look like that's going to supply it? Because we're not hitting the uh, new crop marketing year with with a lot in inventory. Well, Mac, and you think about hitting that new crop marketing year here with a, a lot when it comes to inventory, and that that's a big concern here across. I think uh, much of the corn belt is how is this crop going to look here for the next you know, this next growing season. That's a, that's a big issue. There's a lot of heat that's hit us, and there's a lot of concern among farmers across the uh, much of the Midwest here, Mac. Yeah, and, and I'd say that, um, you know, when, when we gathered uh, our, our board of directors from across the country just a couple weeks ago, you know, having 70-plus directors on the same team, you get a lot of perspectives on how the crop is developing across the country. Um, a lot of farmers certainly, uh, you know, looking – for rain at that point in time. And of course, we got some timely rains um, you know, in the Midwest, uh, but you know, that was that was then followed up by really, uh, you know, aggressive heat over the last, uh, last couple of weeks. So, you know, I think in, in many parts of the country, you know, our, our farmers are hearing, hey, you know, is generally 
good, but that's not to say that there aren't a lot of swaths of the country where there is acute pressure. I and mean, we've got over half the crop uh, in, in drought condition, if you're going off the latest USDA figures. Well, and, and thinking about half the crop in drought condition, and obviously we, we think about the effects of drought. I know supply chain issues have been something we have to watch for as well, Mac. Are, are you worried as we get into the fall season with a shorter crop? Are we worried, worried about river levels? Are we worried about rail logistics, trucking issues? Is any of that on your mind here that could also kind of feed into just the, the tightness of this soybean crop as we look at this fall harvest? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting about transport and logistics just in general. Um, you know, when I first started really, you know, working in ag in a, in a commercial environment, you know, over, you know, about a decade ago, that was one of the first things I learned is uh, just the, in, the uh, impact that logistics and availability, be it rail cars, locomotives, trucking can have on those prices that farmers receive. So certainly, um, you know, a buddy of mine in trucking forwarded me an article last week about how, you know, cost per mile had, you know, risen above $2 for, I think, the first time ever. So, you know, anytime you're having, you know, snarls in transportation, that's obviously uh, challenging because that does feedback into transportation costs, which, of course, widens basis that arose where farmers actually get paid. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say those are those are always uh, challenges. And we've, we've just seen it take on uh, different incarnations over the last couple of years. You know, we had the container issue at, at the ports with empty containers coming back mm -hmm. at really high freight rates for a while. That subsequently resolved. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, now we've got, you know, some of the, the, the trucking issues as well as, um, you know, the negotiations that have been going on in, in, in Canada. Um, lots of lots of dynamics here. What, um, you know, as we look ahead to the harvest time season, the last couple of years, we've had disruptions along the river. First, you had Hurricane Ida in 2021. In 2022, we had the, the low draft levels. Um, you know, it doesn't look like we'll be in that position for this year. I think, uh, you know, there's been a good good amount of, of uh, replenishment there. But, um, you know, it's, it's just further testament to all of the variables that those in the farming and ag community have to consider. I mean, just mm -hmm. once it leaves the farm, it doesn't mean that the market implications for farmers have ended. Uh, it's very much uh, on a continuous basis. We're talking with Mac Marshall, Vice President of Market Intelligence at the United Soybean Board. Mac, as we look at the global picture, you know, we're talking about some supply concerns here in the U.S., What's that global picture looking like here? South America, we know, had a pretty decent-sized crop for soybeans. Uh, what are you seeing on the global balance sheets right now? Well, I think there's, there's a number of interesting dynamics at play here when you look at, at the major suppliers. Now, you mentioned South America, you know, an aggregate large crop, but, you know, the difference between Argentina and Brazil is absolutely staggering. Brazil mm -hmm. is a record crop. Argentina, you know, coming in under 50% of what the expectations of that crop were. But if you, if you take the, the hemisphere as a whole, um, you know, strong production year. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's, uh, it's, it, it's going to be needed. Um, you know, the world is continuing to demand more and more soy. You know, we're actually seeing some, you know, positive, uh, positive news, I think, starting to come out of China regarding, you know, their uh, not, not just herd rebuild, but really uh, maybe return of profitability to some parts of the hog sector there, which is, of course, beneficial for uh, soy demand and, you know, the willingness and ability for, uh, for buyers over there to pay. But that, of course, doesn't mean it's the only market in the world. When we think internationally, we 
really think globally. We're not just thinking the biggest buyer. We're not just thinking the largest buyers. We're thinking collectively. So, you know, I'd say the ongoing, you know, market diversification work that our teams at USAC have been engaged in for a long time is really critical. Um, again, going back to the board meeting we had a couple of weeks ago where farmers were voting on what the next uh, fiscal year of investments was going to look like. There's, you know, a, a, a lot of strong investment towards uh, export and international promotion, um, which I think is, is going to take on uh, an added nuance of importance in the coming years as we have more and more crush coming online. And, uh, you know, we likely will be exporting um, higher volumes of meal in the in the years to come. Actually, on that, earlier this summer, I had the opportunity to visit with um, with our uh, executive committee, uh, the Port of Grace Harbor in Aberdeen, Washington, which is a meal loading facility up there um, that is scaling up capacity uh, by 2X, uh, I think by the end of 2025. So seeing the moves that the industry is, is taking to adjust to the shifts in local dynamics that we're having here in the US, as well as helping set us up well for uh, enabling international markets and buyers. Um, that's that's really exciting to see. Um, you know, it yeah. takes a long run way for this all to work together. You know, like we were saying a couple of minutes ago, when we talk about transportation, you talk about farming as well, that there's always going to be a challenge somewhere. So the more, I think, proactive work that we see is, is uh, incredibly encouraging. Well, and you brought up, you know, the expansion of crush here, not only in the U.S., but I think around the world and just the crush margins have been good. We think about the renewable diesel, you know, and the outlook for soy being used for renewable diesel, biodiesel, et cetera, here moving forward. A lot of exciting things uh, going on in the soy market right now, Mac. Yeah, without a doubt. And actually later today, um, I'll be joining uh, the Clean Fuels Associate, excuse, excuse me, Clean Fuels Alliance America uh, mm -hmm. for their, you know, uh, they've got an annual uh, group that gets together and talks, uh, you know, biofuels there. So, you know, being able to come in, bring the uh, feedstock and soy perspective uh, is, is always valuable. You know, this is this is a the feedstock question, I think, particularly as it as it interrelates with uh, with energy here, it's one we're all collectively having to get our, our arms around. Soy is but one part of the equation. You know, we uh, you know we're certainly playing an increasing uh, role. You know, in terms of volume in renewable diesel, um, but again, we're just one piece of it. It's going to take a whole lot of feedstocks to uh, supply what's needed here, as well as um, you know. Let's let's consider all the things that we do with soy. It's not just for biofuels. You know, from an acre of beans, you get roughly three thousand pounds of beans, fifty gallons of biodiesel, enough uh, enough veg oil for you know two people per year, and enough meal to feed uh, you know for a whole lot of chickens as well. So it all fits Definitely. together. Definitely. Well, Mac, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us here on AOA today. We'll have to get you back on the show again soon. Looking forward to it. Happy trails and congratulations again, Jesse. Really excited for you, man. Thank you very much. Mac Marshall with United Soybean Board. Coming up next, we'll talk to Colin Woodall with the National Cannabis Beef Association here on AOA. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. 
Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grain and oil seeds are mixed today. Corn is hovering around unchanged. Soybeans are up, while the wheat complex is mixed to mostly lower. Both U.S. corn and soybean crop ratings fell in the past week as expected, but that did little to change market dynamics overnight. U.S. corn crop posted condition index score this week of 345. That's down from 351 the previous week, and it's also down from 355 in the same week last year. The condition index scores fell west of the Mississippi River while rising to the east of it over the past week. That's reflecting where the heat was most intense last week. Missouri continues to post the lowest condition index score in the Corn Belt at 263. That's down another 10 points over the past week. Following that is Illinois at 330 and Minnesota at 333. The best corn continues to be in the southeastern Midwest. This week's soybean condition index score fell to 340. That's down from 344 the previous week and down from 357 in the same week last year. And like corn, the lowest condition scores are in Missouri and Illinois, with the western belt generally struggling more than the southeast. Soybeans do have the opportunity to add more pods with bigger beans in them in August, giving them more of an ability to improve yield prospects, but that's of course with favorable weather as summer closes out. We're also seeing details about the series of USDA flash sale announcements last week, many of which were to unknown destinations. Cash sources are indicating that Chinese buyers bought roughly 40 cargoes of soybeans last week for primarily loading in the U.S. in October, although the purchases include a few cargoes for Brazilian loading in September. Brazilian farmers still have a nearly 40 million metric tons of soybeans estimated yet to sell, but they become tight-fisted with those soybeans, resulting in a surge of 40 to 50 cents in basis for October loadings, and that's resulting in the shift to U.S. origins. While crude oil is pulling back after setting 15-week highs yesterday. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. 
And welcome back to AOA. As we continue here on today's program, we just heard from Mac Marshall with the United Soybean Board talking soybean demand. Now I want to talk a little bit more about beef demand and the cattle industry. Joining us now, he is the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin Woodall is with us here on AOA. Colin, it is great to talk with you again, sir. I hope you're doing well. I am doing well, Jesse, and thanks for having me on your show. Well, let's dive in, Colin. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, first, the summer uh, business meeting. Just happened last week out in San Diego, California. Can you get us up to speed, some of the uh, highlights from that meeting, some of the things that were talked about? Yeah, the summer business meeting is where we actually do conduct the business of the entire industry. So on one side, you had NCBA's policy division that came together where we hosted all of our policy committees to sit down, talk through some of the hot topics. And this is where the true grassroots approach that NCBA has is on show, because the way we are set up, we have these committees that are put together where cattle producers who are appointed by their state cattlemen's associations come together, they debate the issues, talk about the issues, and ultimately set the policy of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And so that was great to see, especially as we looked at some cattle marketing issues, some environmental issues. But it's also where all of the checkoff committees come together. The checkoff committees, of course, are uh, administered by the Cattlemen's Beef Board and the Federation of State Beef Councils and allowed all of the contractors, NCBA being one of those contractors, to talk about not only the work that we have done with checkoff dollars on things such as the Beef It's What's for Dinner campaign, but also talk about some of the additional work that we would like to do and to be able to pitch these cattle producers who are appointed to the Cattlemen's Beef Board by the Secretary of Agriculture on the work that we would like to continue to do as that contractor to the beef checkoff. Well, you brought up checkoffs, and I want to talk about that just a little bit with you here, Colin. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of talk in the news here recently of various groups attacking ag checkoffs here. We have the the off act that and i know there's been some uh, talk within that about looking at checkoffs and then also i know an amendment from uh, indiana representative victoria sparts here recently looking at usda and making sure they're not using taxpayer dollars for checkoffs and I, and i know ncba asa other groups have been named specifically in some of these attacks against checkoffs can you just talk about that a little bit and provide NCBA's point of view uh, with these attacks against checkoffs, Colin? So it has been an interesting dynamic to, to see play out here, because on one side, you do have the OFF Act. The OFF Act stands for Opportunities for Fairness in Farming, which on the surface sounds pretty good, right? But like mm -hmm. most everything you see out of Washington, D.C., you better really pop the hood and see what's really under there. And what we have found is it calls for a lot of things that are already in statute or in application today. For example, it says that uh, the checkoffs need to post all of their financials for public inspection. Well, you can go to the Cattlemen's Beef Board website today and you can find that information. It says that checkoffs should not disparage other agricultural commodities. We cannot do that today. That's why the checkoff could not engage in the fake meat fight because those products were made from other agricultural commodities. The big thing in there is saying that organizations that hire lobbyists can no longer be uh, contractors to to any checkoff program. And of course, that is targeted in CBA since we do have lobbyists, but we also are a contractor to the National Beef Checkoff. What people fail to uh, to keep in mind is 
that it is illegal to use those checkoff dollars for policy. We have a firewall in place that separates the two sides of our association. No checkoff dollars are ever being used in our efforts in Washington, D.C. None of our expenses in our Washington, D.C. office are paid for by checkoff dollars. That money only goes to checkoff work. And that's audited by the Cattlemen's Beef Board. It's audited by USDA. So we know that that firewall is being respected. But it comes down to who's driving this. And who's Mm -hmm. driving this are a bunch of animal activist groups, ASPCA being one of the leaders. You also have HSUS and PETA. And one of the reasons they're doing that is because when you look at those groups, ultimately they want people to eat less meat or stop eating meat. And they know that the checkoff has been extremely successful in building beef demand and maintaining beef demand. And they believe that if they can attack the checkoff, cripple the checkoff or hurt the checkoff, then they will be successful in hurting beef demand. And they know that NCBA as the largest contractor of the national beef checkoff, if they take us out of the equation, their hope is that demand will go down. So that's why we have really been focused on uh, keeping people off of the off act and making sure that it does not see the light of day. And then, of course, you mentioned Congresswoman Sparks. She kind of came up last week during the agriculture appropriations process. Mm-hmm. Uh, she made some comments that show that she really does have, she has no idea uh, basically how checkoffs work. And unfortunately, it's a great example of Washington, D.C. once again coming in and telling us, hey, we've got a solution for you, even though there's not a problem. And so we've just had to make sure that we've taken the time to uh, show quite clearly that Congresswoman Sparks, it does not know how these programs work. And that's really based upon her language. She says that tax dollars should not be used for these programs. Tax dollars aren't used for these programs. These are producer dollars that are then used to reimburse USDA's expenses in administering uh, the national beef checkoff. Well, I appreciate the insight, and I know we could talk about this issue uh, for for probably a full hour, Colin. I want to talk about a couple other things with you as well, though, before we uh, run out of time in this segment. You mentioned demand a few times. We've continued to see fairly good demand, fairly robust beef demand, whether it be domestic or in export markets. Uh, I think about at the beef case uh, here this summer, grilling demand, obviously. Uh, what are some things you heard at the summer business meeting? And, and what are you continuing to hear about how robust uh, beef demand is here across the world? Uh, demand continues to amaze us, especially when you look at beef prices in the retail meat case, which we as producers are loving right now because it's really helping us try to recover from some pretty lean years. And when you look at cattle prices right now, there were a lot more smiles on people's faces in San Diego than we've seen in quite some time. But that demand is great. The consumer is showing they're willing to pay that money to have our product, not only here domestically, but overseas. And so the challenge is how do we continue to produce more to meet that demand? And that's, we're looking at a lot of this uh, rainfall that we're seeing, especially in the West and that kind of creeping in the Southern Plains is helpful. We're not to a point where where we are rebuilding the herd yet, but uh, that moisture is is helping uh, people start to see that, yeah, there's going to be some opportunities here to start grow that herd. But uh, we have to keep the demand up, and that's where programs like Beef It's What's for Dinner uh, continue to be successful, and we're really excited about where that demand is, Jesse. We're talking with Colin Woodall, the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association here today. Colin, Farm Bill, I just want to get your thoughts on that as well. We are we are at the August recess. We've been hearing a lot about this Farm Bill, and now the feeling is that we probably won't get it done by the September 30th deadline, maybe by the end of the year. 
what's the latest you're hearing as far as the farm bill there in D.C.? You know, we're hearing the same. Uh, we're 100% behind both Chairwoman Stabenow and Chairman Thompson in their efforts. They are doing just great work. All you have to do is look at the number of farm bill listening sessions we have seen. I don't think we've ever seen a farm bill process where we've had this many listening sessions. Mm -hmm. So all of us in agriculture have had a great opportunity to weigh in. For us as the, uh, the, the Cattlemen's Association, we're really looking at our foot and mouth disease vaccine bank being our number one ask, maintaining that so that way we are prepared in the event that we have foot and mouth disease come back here in the United States, which is really not a matter of, uh, of if, it's, it's when. And we've got great support from both sides of the hill and both sides of the aisle. Uh, you're right, we're not going to make that September 30th deadline, but I know there is a big push to try to get it done by the end of the year, and NCBA is willing to do whatever it takes to get that done. So all of us know what that roadmap is going to be for the next five years, and we can start making some decisions accordingly. And you mentioned that foot and mouth disease, that, that vaccine bank. And I know that has been a, a big ask for not only for you guys, but, but other animal uh, agriculture type groups as well. Just thinking about uh, an overall vaccine bank, Colin, for all the different diseases that are out there that can impact our, our cattle herds, our hog herds, et cetera. You're right, Jesse. You know, we as NCBA, we really do kind of focus on that foot and mouth disease uh, just because that's the one that keeps me up, keeps all of us up at night. But you're right. This is one part of a bigger package of overall animal agriculture protection. So we're talking about the national labs that are out there. We're talking about everything that is done to try to prevent these diseases from even making it into the United States and then making sure that we have the tools necessary to respond once they are in place. Because we know it's not just about foot and mouth disease. It's African swine fever. You, mm -hmm. you name the disease. If it hits one of us, all of us in animal agriculture are going to have some sort of, uh, of negative impact. So that's why we are all working together to protect all of us here in the livestock uh, arena. Colin, we got about a minute before we let you go. Any final thoughts, anything else uh, we haven't touched on that you want to share with us here today on AOA? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just looking at the overall optimism within the cattle business right now. It's been a tough slog going back to where we were during the pandemic. So to be able to see some smiles on producers' faces like we did during the summer business meeting makes us feel really good because that demand is there. And as long as we can continue to move product and we can get a little rain out there, then we're going to be able to have opportunities for producers to stay in this business and to be able to grow. And that's why NCBA is here. And when you look at all the challenges, one of the things that's out there, of course, is fake meat. And mm -hmm. we have shown quite clearly that we could beat back the plant-based products. Now we're focused on these cell-based products. One win was to make sure that USDA has inspection over those products. That We got that. That was a win. Now we just need to make sure that the label is going to be accurate and truly tells the consumer what that product is because we know that beef the way god intended is going to win the battle every single day well colin we appreciate the time and insight here today on the show thank you for joining us and we'll uh, pick up the conversation again real soon and uh, we wish you a great rest of your day thanks so much thank you jesse Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Speaking of cattle, we're going to talk heat stress and the use of probiotics. Coming up next with Dr. Steve Lerner from Christian Hansen. We'll be back with more AOA on the way right after this. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike. Block, 
Maintained your health? 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Nick Corville, an animal nutrition consultant with CHS, about cattle nutrition strategies. Forage supplies are tight in some areas due to drought. What feeding strategies do you recommend for cattle producers? One that I can think of is to wean early. That allows the cow some time to get back in better body condition going into the colder months of winter. There are a few supplement strategies that you can add into a program to kind of stretch some dry matter when pastures are short. What steps can cattle producers take to make the most out of short pastures? I think setting some benchmarks, such as if you haven't had X amount of inches of rain by X amount date, it's time to start looking at maybe liquidating some cattle. We can also use some supplements to move cattle into parts of the pasture they won't normally graze, such as tubs, creep feeders, things like that, that the animal knows they like to eat that. You can move those around and make those animals kind of follow it to kind of get some better management of the pastures we're already using and kind of force them to use some of those different grasses that normally they wouldn't go to. Well, Nick, why is it important to test those existing hay supplies? I think in a drought scenario, a lot of times the grasses, the hays, what we have in front of us, if they're stressed, then some crazy stuff can happen, um, such as nitrates, and that can affect next year's calf crop. Nitrates being too high in a forage um, that normally aren't. I've seen that happen when plants are stressed from drought. Also, the vitamin and mineral pack that comes from that forage, if it's stressed, it's usually a lot lower. So now's the time to look at supplements and try to fill some of those voids in to help that cow make it better through winter. Well, Nick, what supplemental protein products do you recommend? If they have the labor, range cake is a good way to stretch dry matter. We can add a few pounds to the diet, you know, two to five pounds per head, and it'll replace a lot of that dry matter that's maybe not out there in those short pastures. The other strategy would be like a Smart Lake Tub. It's the brand that we have. It's a molasses-based product with protein added. Thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. 
Join us during Dakota Fest this August as we talk about navigating volatile commodity and livestock markets. This is Jesse Allen, and I'll be hosting a live market panel on Wednesday, August 16th at noon in the Dakota Fest Education Center on the grounds in Mitchell, South Dakota. I'll be joined for market analysis by Mike Miner of Professional Ag Marketing and Ross Nadwick of Van Onen Company as we get you up to speed on the dynamics and continued volatility in the grain and livestock markets. We continue to see just how volatile things can be with weather impacting grains and a cattle market that continues to soar higher and higher. How do we navigate this volatility, manage our risk, and make a profit? We'll discuss that and much more during our marketing panel, Navigating Volatile Commodity and Livestock Markets during Dakota Fest, coming up on Wednesday, August 16th at noon on the grounds in Mitchell, South Dakota. We hope you can join us. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here on the program, pleased to have with us, he is the Senior Scientific and Business Advisor with Christian Hansen for North America. Dr. Steve Lerter is with us. And Dr. Lerter, it is uh, great to catch up with you again. How are you, sir? Thank you, Jesse. I'm, I'm very fine and quite happy to be here. Well, let's dive in and uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, cattle industry. And, you know, we've been seeing a, a lot of extreme heat here across the country uh, as of late. And just thinking about that, what are some things that come to your mind to watch for when it comes to heat stress in our cattle herd? Let's start there. Sure. Well, luckily, the Agricultural Research Service of the USDA uh, publishes documents that provide the six stages of heat stress. But it all boils down to how your cattle are behaving, their rate of breathing, their agitation, restlessness, uh, whether they're drooling or not. And as the stress becomes greater, of course, the degree of abnormal behavior goes up. And every cattleman worth his salt understands this, recognizes this, and of course, adopt strategies to do all they can to mitigate the development of those stages of heat stress, Jesse. Well, let's talk about some of those strategies. We see some of those abnormalities. We see some slower weight gain maybe in our herd, et cetera, et cetera. What are some things we could do to help them out? Can can things like a, a probiotic help? Let's Let's talk about that a little bit. Certainly. Well, of course, they can do macro environmental things. They can add big sprinklers. They can add fresh, clean water, knowing that these cattle are going to want to drink more during times of heat stress. But the way I like to encourage people to think of this, and let's just take an example. You've got a feedlot. We'll use a, an easy number, 100,000 head of cattle, and heat is coming. It's above 90. It stays warm overnight. The breeze is not blowing as swiftly as you'd like it. And now cattle are at risk of perishing. And let's say, heaven forbid, a thousand head of cattle succumb to the heat, 1% of the population. Mm -hmm. What we tend to think about is those poor cattle that died, rather than thinking that our strategy saved 99% of the cattle. And of course, there could be some economic consequences. But I think about that 100,000 head as a single population. 
And if I look at the distribution of their risk to heat, there's going to be some cattle on the right side of that distribution that are immune to the high temperature. There are Charlet cross, they've got a light coat, their surface area is good, they drink a lot of water, they're going to be okay. The majority animals are at some risk, but likely to survive. And then mm -hmm. we're talking about the left tail of cattle that are extreme risk. If you can use a strategy like providing effective probiotics that improves the immune function of all the animals, improves the ability of those animals to get nutrients out of their feed, and you just shift that population a half a percent of risk, you save the lives of 500 head of cattle. If you shifted I, I, yeah. a full percentage of risk, you save all their lives. And that magnitude of change is certainly within the realm of what we see when you provide things like effective probiotics combined with good proper management. I love your perspective on that. You know, don't necessarily dwell on the negative that 1% or half a percent. Look at look at the positive side of that when you're managing your cattle herd. That's that's great perspective and good things to remember. Uh, Dr. Lerter, talk a little more about probiotics and I know you and I have discussed this before, but give us uh, give me a refresher on it. How can probiotics be part of an effective feeding strategy in your cattle herd? What we hope to gain when we provide effective probiotics, we want to support proper digestion and good probiotics can produce enzymes to help get nutrients out of feed. We want to ensure that those nutrients are absorbed in a healthy surface area in the rumen and in the post-ruminal gut. Probiotics can help improve the quality of the surface area for absorption. And then during times of stress, we know the immune system is going to be involved, and we know we can develop leaky gut. And effective probiotics have been demonstrated to improve the immune responsiveness of animals and to support the barrier function to help reduce the risk of developing a leaky gut. So you can use a strategy that gets the most of the nutrients in your feed into your animals and prepares them better to deal with stress, which pays benefits in terms of the amount of meat you're going to produce per square acre of feedlot. And that's a win for the producer. The win for the cattle is that they feel better. They are better able to respond to stress. They suffer less and they display better behaviors. And so it's a win-win for the producer and the cattle in their care. And every time you can achieve that, that's good for the industry. Well, great thoughts and insight as always. Uh, Dr. Lerner, before we let you go, uh, you mentioned a lot of great research out there. I know there's products as well and a lot of uh, great work that you and the team do there, Christian Hansen. Any final thoughts, anything else you'd want to share with us and share with our cattle uh, ranchers here as they're thinking about managing heat stress and looking at probiotics and, and more with their cattle herd? Well, you, you know, the words I use, I very rarely say probiotic without saying effective probiotics. I believe there are many effective probiotics. You can certainly purchase them from Christian Hansen. But the key is to find those probiotic products that contain strains of bacteria, an individual and all of its clonal copies is a strain, that has been demonstrated, statistically significantly demonstrated, to cause a beneficial effect 
in the animals in our care. That is the goal, to provide effective probiotics to your herd to keep you safe and profitable during times of most heat stress. Well, we appreciate the time and insight as always, and we look forward to catching up with you again here in the future and talking more about probiotics and everything that's uh, going on with managing our cattle herd. With that, Dr. Steve Lerter with Christian Hansen. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show today, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jesse. All right, well, we are out of time here today. Coming up on our next episode of AOA, it'll be the August edition of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite.